Well, good morning, church family. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, really, the bulk of our time in Scripture this morning is going to be in an amazing passage in the Old Testament, uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9. And, and when you think about uh, King David's reign and rule, uh, really, this is kind of like the pinnacle uh, of his life. Uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, we know that David is anointed as king, and it's in that same chapter that uh, we find out that he uh, defeats the enemy, uh, the Philistines. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, uh, the Ark of the Covenant goes back to Jerusalem, and, and the Ark of the Covenant really represents uh, the presence of God, and that is huge. Uh, and then in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, God makes a covenant, an unconditional covenant with David that, that through uh, him and through his descendants that there will be uh, an eternal reign. Again, uh, we're going to learn about King David today. But listen, everything in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and really everything in the Bible is pointing us to a greater king, the greatest king, King Jesus. And so as we study this, let's keep our minds fixated on Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 8, uh, David has victory over all his earthly enemies. And so really, again, this is a, uh, the pinnacle, in many ways, of David's uh, earthly reign, uh, uh, king of Israel. And uh, it's with that that we see these words in 2 Samuel 9. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire passage so that you'll get really a glimpse of what this passage is all about. And then through our time this morning as we worship the Lord through song, through meditation, through prayer, and reading and responding to his word, we'll at least have some indicators of what this passage is about. And so the scripture says in 2 Samuel 9, beginning in verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So as we study God's word today, I pray that you would let 
his word just resonate on your hearts and minds. And you may have just read that passage with me and be like, I have no idea what it's talking about. But praise be to God, we're going to learn about what God's sharing with us in this passage. Uh, one of the things that I think would be important, especially off this passage, is the importance of celebrating the king's grace. Celebrating the king's grace. To set a little bit more of the context of 2 Samuel 9. In uh, 1 Samuel, we know uh, that King Saul is, is, the, is the first king uh, over Israel. It's not uh, God's choice. It was man's choice. Uh, we know that uh, Saul, uh, King Saul had a... Uh, a son named Jonathan, and uh, Jonathan and David uh, were tremendous friends. They were the best of friends. Unfortunately, uh, King Saul hated David, uh, so much so that Saul, uh, King Saul sought out often, many times, uh, to kill David. And one of the things that happens in the midst of Jonathan and David's uh, friendship is, is Jonathan, through uh, the Spirit of God, uh, knows that uh, David is going to be the one that's going to be anointed the next king. In other words, that kingship isn't going to stay in the lineage of Saul. It's going to transition to another family. And, and Jonathan recognizes this. And so uh, Jonathan and, and David uh, make a covenant uh, with one another. And essentially that covenant uh, says this, that when David, when you come to be the king, the next king, that you will show kindness grace to me and to my family. That's what the covenant was about, that David would be gracious to Jonathan's family, even to Saul. In fact, uh, at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, we find out that King Saul uh, is killed. Uh, we also know that uh, his sons were killed, including Jonathan, at the hands of the Philistines. And now roughly 15 years have passed. When we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, the question is, is David going to fulfill that covenant that was made between him and Jonathan? And so with that, uh, we again read verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And here we see really the reach of the king's grace. Is there anyone Man, what an awesome phrase. Is there anyone that I can show kindness to? Is anyone left? Verse 2, the scripture says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. So David uh, desires to fulfill the covenant that he made with his best friend, his good friend, Jonathan. And so he calls for the servant Ziba. Ziba uh, was uh, not only a servant in King Saul's household, but more than likely he was in charge of King Saul's ho household. So he would have not only known uh, what things were happening within the home, but he would also know who was there, right? So that's important. And uh, in verse 3, the scripture goes on to say, and the king said, is there still, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show, and notice the shift here, not, not just kindness, but the kindness of who? The kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And you can almost hear the hesitancy in Ziba's voice. Well, yeah, he has a son, but he's crippled. You see, a little more than 15, uh, a little more than 15 years earlier, a tragic accident happened. We see this in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 4, verse 4, where the scripture says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. 
Uh, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So, in other words, when the news finally broke that King Saul and the sons uh, were killed, news got back. And so because of that, the scripture says, and his nurse, so th this young boy's nurse, took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste and her hurry, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So you have this tragic event that happened 15 years earlier. But that tragic event also has a name. The scripture says that his name is Mephibosheth. That, that name means shameful one. For Mephibosheth, there was physical shame. He was lame in both feet. So for the past 15 years, think about it. He, he had no one to care for him. He couldn't do anything on his own. He was unable to care for himself. Uh, and so this is the state in which he's in. And in this particular culture, in this particular time, that is a massive deal. This is the, the people that got pushed to the margins, if you will. The scripture goes on to say in verse 4, And the king said to him, I love it, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. So notice the condition of this individual named Mephibosheth, this shameful one. He's in the house of Mekur, which means he is sold. And he's at Lodabar, which means a place of barrenness. And notice, David doesn't say anything about his disability. He doesn't say, even ask if there's someone else. He's not contemplating do I really want to show God's kindness has said grace to this individual? No, he has the question, where is he? In fact, the more that he knows about this person's situation, the greater desire he has to meet him where he's at. The scripture says that David sends for him. Man, what a picture of God's grace towards us. You see, everything in this story is pointing us to King Jesus. We too have been broken by a fall, a fall that is far greater than that just affects our physical life, but our spiritual life. Because of our sin, we are broken in isolation in a barren state, but God in his grace sent King Jesus to us. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. We are the ones who are ashamed and in hiding, and he enters our mess by choice. You go to John chapter 1, by choice he enters into our mess, and he extends the promise of grace. Jesus is the one that has pursued us so rightly. Even though we are sinners, cut off from God, God made a covenant, a promise way back in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world, that he was going to send someone, the promised seed, to fix what we broke, and that person is Jesus Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. It's all of grace. And to that, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God in Christ gives us a gift. The gift of his amazing grace. And it's the gift of God's grace that never runs out. John 1, 16 says like this, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The literal translation in the Greek would be grace in place of grace. In other words, it's a grace that never runs out. And we, as followers of Christ, we need that great reminder today, don't we? That God gives grace upon grace, grace in place of grace, that those who feel ashamed... Those who are in a barren state, an isolated state, enslaved, in hiding, held captive, 
to those who have nothing to offer, what does God's word teach us? That he gives grace. Oh, that we would humble ourselves before him in desperate need of his unending grace. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it like this in James 4, but he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not only do we want to celebrate the king's grace, we also want to have an opportunity to celebrate uh, the king's mercy, the king's mercy. Now in the immediate context of our passage today, why would it be important uh, to celebrate the king's mercy? Well, understand that uh, when the new king comes, King David comes, he's anointed as king, he's from a different family. Uh, naturally, what you would want to do with the previous uh, kingship or the previous family is you would want to wipe out any remnant that is left so that they would not uh, somehow try to overthrow your kingship. And so here is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth has an enemy, right? His enemy is David. David has an enemy. His enemy, if you will, is Mephibosheth, right? They're, they're against one another because they come from two different families. And what's amazing about this passage is that you would assume that when this happens, that Mephibosheth is going to get what he deserves as his enemy. He is going to get death. But that's not what we find in this passage. In 2 Samuel 9, verse 6, the scripture says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, a son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now think about this for just a minute. For the first time in 2 Samuel chapter 9, this individual who is the shameful one, who is uh, sold and in hiding and isolated and in barrenness, has what? He has a name, right? We saw that in 2 Samuel 4.4, but if you didn't know 2 Samuel 4.4, guess what? You're reading 2 Samuel 9 and you're getting this information about this, this individual, but he doesn't have a name. But guess what? He has a name. And who is the one that calls his name? It is the king. King David calls out Mephibosheth. In verse 7, the scripture says, And David said to him, Do not fear. Man, it reminds me of uh, that encounter in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, when, right after Jesus' birth, uh, the angel uh, is there before uh, the lowly shepherds, right? And what does the angel say? Do not fear. Why? Do not be afraid. I come to bring what? Good news of great joy. And what was the good news of great joy for Mephibosheth? The scripture says, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will what? I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. You see the theme? My table always. He hears David call his name, and in his astonishment, Mephibosheth hears David declare what over him? Mercy. Instead of judgment, Mephibosheth experiences mercy. You mean instead of judgment, I'm going to experience restoration? I'm going to experience the privilege of sitting at your table always? His response in verse 8, Mephibosheth, he paid homage and said, What is your servant 
that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Mephibosheth uses a phrase that is probably the most vile, disgusting, degrading phrase that you could ever give in this particular culture or context. Not only a dog, but a dead dog. He's expressing with great humility that I am so undeserving for your mercy. Keep in mind, it was Mephibosheth's grandfather, King Saul, that wanted to do what? Wanted to kill him. Wanted to kill David. And yet here is David... Some 15 years later, wanting to extend mercy to him. What a picture of God's mercy towards us in Christ. Because of our sins, we are his enemies. We have wronged him, and we deserve punishment. We deserve condemnation. We deserve judgment. But in his mercy, guess what? Christ stood in our place, right? The prophet Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 53. He, speaking of Jesus, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, spent my God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus himself takes the full punishment of God's wrath on the cross, that punishment which equaled death and separation, the very punishment that you and I, as God's enemies, deserve to pay. Jesus' son paid it on our behalf. In his mercy, he withholds what we do deserve. And it's the mercy displayed on the cross of Christ that is continually given to us every single day. Last week, Pastor Tommy mentioned this verse, and I'll mention it again, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. And the context of Lamentations 3 is, is about judgment. In the midst of judgment, because of God's people's sin, we hear this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will what? I will hope in Praise God for his mercy. Never forget the blessing of that mercy and how that mercy leads to tremendous hope. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to what? His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the great mercy of God is not just given to us in our past, not just given us uh, today in our present, but it has been extended to us in our future. In all of our sin, in all of our hiding, in all of our wandering, in all of our shame, guess what? In Christ, God extends tremendous mercy. And to there, there is hope. He has called you by name. He has called me by name. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. To those of us who experience shame, isolation, barrenness, and captivity, and have nothing to offer, the cross of Christ reminds us of the King's mercy. And because Christ our King extends unending mercy, we can come to him in our very time of need, our time of great desperation. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Amen.
Now we are at that point in our worship service where we are going to actually uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to turn our attention real quickly to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where the scripture says, uh, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat uh, this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. So we certainly in no way want to dishonor what the Lord has so rightly done for us in Christ. And so at this time we are ready to take the elements of the Lord's Supper. There's no name greater than King Jesus. Praise the Lord. As we close uh, this morning, I do want to just say thank you for joining with us. If there's anything we can do to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, we have a next step area. If you're on campus right outside the doors to your left in our main gathering area, we'd love to connect with you. If there's anything we can do to help share Jesus with you or uh, walk with you and and wherever you're at, uh, we would love to do that. Those joining with us online, we extend that same invitation to you. There's an online connection card. Please fill that out. We'd love to connect with you. 